be turning to uh, John 14. We'll pick up there today. The title today will be The Person of the Holy Spirit. While you're turning there, I'd just would like to say thanks, Jack, for, pass, for uh, pointing that out about that song. I always wondered why I could never get those notes right. <clears throat> I always was singing the grace notes, and I didn't have much grace in singing them. So I appreciate that. So we enter, we always enter into holy ground here, but when we enter into John 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's a particularly holy ground because these are like Christ's last will and testament to his disciples and to you. And he is teaching us some great truths here. He primarily is trying to comfort the hearts of his disciples about the things that are coming. And so he's trying to comfort your heart also about the things that are coming. In doing this, he's telling us about the things that are right ahead, about how Christ was going to leave them, and then they were going to have joy in his resurrection, and then he would ascend, and then he would send this person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not an it, right? It's a he. Person. In John 14, we'll read a few verses here, and beginning in chapter uh, verse 16, 14, 16, and John. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And then I'm going to jump down and grab verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And he is this peace that Christ leaves with us. And then in chapter 15, I'd like to get 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father... Even the spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in chapter 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth in verse 7. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. 
I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And we come today, Lord, just to meditate on these wonderful things about your salvation, about who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinitarian salvation of our great God. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we spend some time here learning about the person of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Well, I would like to introduce you to the Holy Spirit today. And as I do this, I'm going to do something a little different than I've done before. I'm going to speak as if I was him. Now, um, pray for me as I do that. There's a sense where I'm doing that every time I preach anyway. So I'm going to speak that way and maybe help us, maybe grasp a little bit more about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. So hello, I'm the third person of the Godhead. Oh, and by the way, I don't have a Texas accent. Uh, I've had many accents through the years as I've spoke through men moved by the Holy Ghost. But I'm the third person of the Godhead, and we all speak in unison. In 1 John 5 and 7, I've recorded it for you that there are three that bear witness, that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are of the same mind, the same essence, the same purpose. I wrote the Bible. There are really two authors in the Bible. In 2 Peter 1.21, I have told you that this prophecy of the Scripture was not by the will of man, but by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit that spake through these men as they were moved. I've also instructed you that this gospel that you've heard and rejoice in love comes not to you in word only, but also in power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God is sent to you by me to your very hearts. Romans 5, 5, this love is shed abroad in your hearts. I was present 6,000 years ago at creation. As Elohim, the Godhead. Moved upon the face of the waters. It says the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. And the Spirit is attributed with bringing order out of the formless void. I ordered, it range, I beautify. I'm always beautifying. I'm always beautifying in your life too. I am infinite love, joy, peace, the source of life. And today as I introduce myself to you, I've always known you, I want to tell you a few things about myself. Mainly today, my main purpose is that you would know the person of the Holy Spirit. That you would know why I was sent and the work I am doing in this room right now for you. Three things about myself. There are many more. But I think we just have time today for three. 
I am an eternal witness. I am the eternal promise keeper. And I am the eternal administrator. So first, let's just talk about how I am a witness. In the text that you have just read in John 15, 26, the blessed son says this, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify. He shall testify of me. He shall be a legal witness in the eternal courtroom of God Almighty. The final courtroom where all judgment will take place and is taking place. A legal testimony is one someone bears witness to the truth. You've experienced this when you get caught speeding. And you go to traffic court and the police officer is a witness that you have violated the law. I am the witness that comes and testifies that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the life, the way, the truth. There is no one that will get to the Father except through him. That's what I testify to you. It's through him and by him and in him that you are saved. Why do I need to testify as the Holy Spirit? Well, <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, but I'm the only one that's not a liar in the room. I am a eternal truth-telling witness. The entire reason that I wrote in your law, Deuteronomy 19.15, that you need two or three witnesses in a court of law is because men have been infected with the virus of lying. But where there are two, three witnesses, most of the time, that will manifest itself. I come now to witness to the reality of Jesus Christ and why he had to come to live and to die and to rise and to ascend. Let me show you in Mark chapter 1 where I witnessed to the Son of God. This was a great day. It was a rejoicing day. This was about 2,000 years ago. And it came to pass in verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit. That's me. The Spirit, like a dove descending upon him, Messiah. And there came a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the Father. Two witnesses, eternal witnesses that cannot lie. This is the Messiah, the Son. Jesus told you that I came to testify that he was God. 
came to testify that he was God. You know, there was a time whenever the Jews themselves tried to use this witness and testifying against the blessed son. Isn't that amazing that men would do that? In John chapter 8, in verse 13, Jesus is here having conversation with these Pharisees, ones who claimed to know me and didn't. They accused Jesus of being a liar. In 8.13, the Pharisees therefore said unto him, You bear record of yourself. Your record is not true. You're witnessing about yourself. You're a liar. You can't witness of yourself. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know where I came from and where I go, but you cannot tell from where I came and whither I go. Why could they not tell? Because they were dead. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. The Father witnessed to him. John came witnessing to him. I witnessed about Jesus Christ. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself. And the Father that sent me bears witness of me. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news that y'all have witnesses that you can trust and believe in? We also came to witness so that back in John 15 and 27... We came and witnessed so that you also might bear witness. You might bear witness. Have you received the witness, the eternal witness of the Holy Spirit? Do you understand that he is here as the only truth teller that can be trusted? Well, the second thing I'd like to tell you about myself is that I am the promise keeper. The only, the, the promised of the Father promise keeper. So first, let's look at John 14, 18 again. Jesus Christ says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will Come to you. So there's many times whenever we speak, Father, Son, and Spirit, where we all speak as if we were the same person because we are. And yet we are distinct in our personalities. Here Christ is comforting his disciples, comforting you also here today, saying, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Christ said, I will come to you. I came on his behalf to comfort you. There are times whenever the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God are interchangeable. In Romans 8, I can show this to you. In Romans 8, in verse 9 and 10, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's me. 
If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See, there it is. The Spirit, at the first part of that verse, is then called the Spirit of Christ. And the second part of that verse. Isn't that wonderful? Unity. Same purpose, same message. I have kept the promise where Jesus said, I will come to you. I have kept the promise where he said, I would testify of him. Let me show you that a little bit more and how I'm called the promise of the Father. And Joel 2, 28-29 is repeated in the book of Acts. So we'll just go to Acts and take a look there, starting in chapter 1. So here we have uh, Luke, the physician. Luke was a great writer. He wrote down all these things for you. He was a witness, a witness for me. The Messiah says there in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And so the disciples were gathered there. And after the Holy Ghost came, it says in chapter 2 of Acts, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with me, the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were speaking in the very language that all of these men were coming. I gave them power to be able to speak languages they'd never spoken before. So that Christ might be magnified. Isn't that great? And of course there's always going to be the enemies. The children of the devil are always going to be among you. Always afflicting you. The Cain's afflicting Abel. And they came and were questioning this and accusing them of being drunk, but Peter sets it straight. Here's the record. And I wrote this down for you so you would know it. Verse 16, chapter 2. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Joel, chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so this is the promise of the Father that has come true. The promise of the Father that has come true. To you. 
I have kept Jesus' promise to send you, and I'm here to help you grow in the Spirit. I was sent. Y'all have already seen where it says Jesus sent me, and also it says in there the Father sent me. Many times in the Gospel of John it says that Jesus was sent into the world. He was sent into the world to save sinners. He was sent by the Spirit and the Father. So also was I sent. Jesus was sent to fulfill the promise of the Old Testament. I am sent forth to fulfill the promise of the New. He came and was seen and witnessed, even witnessed by many after his resurrection. I also came in a special way 2,000 years ago that was visibly seen in manifestations like a dove and cloven tongues of fire because that was promised that it would happen by the Father. And I have filled the church and I am here always. I am the Spirit of Christ that will never leave you nor forsake you. I am sent from the Father to keep these promises forever. I proceeded forth from the Father. That is told you there in John 15, 16. Just like to point this out. To proceed forth from the Father means I am divinity in your presence. I proceed forth from the Father. And the promise to you that I proceeded forth to keep and to testify to you is the promise in Acts 2.39. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's a promise to you and your children. Isn't that comforting to your hearts, parents? Brother Daniel has already mentioned that today. We've had, I have sent a whole series of messages here for you to teach you about the grace and the mercy of God that comes through generations of faithful teaching, faithful living parents. So I proceeded forth from this I am the promise fulfilled, the fulfiller of the Messiah's promises. You were once strangers to the covenants of promise. Ephesians 2.12 You had no peace, no hope in the world. But now God has brought you in to the promises. The promise made to Abraham has been fulfilled. I'm here witnessing about Jesus Christ, who is the manifestation of that promise to Abraham. And now, you are fellow heirs, fellow inheritors with the saints of God of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So don't come short of the promised rest. Hebrews 4.1. Don't come short of it. Our counsel is immutable. We cannot lie. 
The call is to repent and believe upon Messiah, upon Jesus Christ. Cast everything upon him or you will perish. In 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that I have promised you, eternal life. Who would not be interested in that? Many are seeking it in the wrong places. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Do you believe the witness? Do you believe the promise? Well, those are just a couple of things about myself. Now I'd like to tell you about what I was sent to do on your behalf. Mainly to be an administrator. Redemption accomplished in Christ and applied by me. You see, without the application of the blood of Christ upon you and me, the Spirit in you, there is no salvation. There is no such thing as people for whom Christ died who are not born of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. I came to apply the merits of Christ to you. I came to resurrect your dead spirit to life so that you might have life more abundantly in this life. Christ's last will and testament is administrated by me. So what is an administrator? Y'all have wills? Y'all have executors of your wills? Whenever a will is written, it is prearranged instructions about things that must take place after you die with your possessions, your inheritance. But you're dead, so somebody else has to come along and to apply that. Well, no illustrations of yours are perfect, but that's a good illustration of what it means to be an administrator. Jesus Christ, it tells us here, in Hebrews 9 and 16. For where a testament is, that's a will, a covenant, where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, the will maker, the covenant maker. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. And this testament that Jesus Christ made, his last will and testament, wasn't sealed with wax like you seal yours and a seal. He sealed it with his own blood. He laid down his life and poured out his life blood so that this will and testament would be eternally effectual. And I'm the administrator of that will.
in order for you to participate in this will. You see, you weren't in the family. You had no inheritance. But now, you are adopted into the family. I am the spirit of adoption. I am the one that comes and regenerates you and raises you and places you in union in the family. Father, Son, and Spirit in the family. That I may, as, we, as you just read in John 14, 16, that I may abide with you forever. This is an eternal union. This is to be, in a sense, married to Jesus Christ. And so now you have access to the Father, to the Son, and to me through the blood of this covenant, this everlasting covenant that I'm administrating. In order to do that, I had to work a miracle in you. I had to raise you from the dead. And that was only possible if Christ had been raised from the dead. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who commanded the light... To shine in the darkness. You see that's reaching back to Genesis. You know in Genesis. The first let there be. Y'all remember what that was? Let there be light. Can't see anything without light. So I commanded light to shine in the darkness of your dead soul. And shine in your dead hearts. To give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus also said he wanted you to be sanctified with the truth. There in John 17, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. I am the spirit of truth. You saw that in John 14, 17, 15, 26, 16, 13. I am the spirit of truth. The truth sanctifies you. Listen to me. Your mind is being sanctified with truth. The enemy of your soul is coming daily and bombarding you with propaganda that is lies. And I have given you a certain measure of will in how you use your body and how you use your mind. You are free agents in a sense with limitations. But I'll also tell you this. I put a subjunctive verbs in this book for a reason. You know what that is? That means there's a realm of possibility in the action. Some labor more abundantly than they all, like Paul. Some labor a little. But there's reality of cause and effect in sowing and reaping in your life. The more you labor to conform your mind to this truth the more joy and peace and happiness you will have in this life. How are you doing with that? I am sanctifying you, separating you, separating you from, to, something better. One of the great lies that the father of lies propagates in this world is that 
If you become a believer and follow Christ, you're going to miss out on something. Ha! You listen to that lie, you're missing out on everything. You see, in my presence is pleasure and joy and ecstasy. There's so much pleasure in my presence that if you were in my actual presence right now, you would explode and disintegrate. There's so much pleasure in me. And the Father of lies is always daily bringing things to you through all of this stuff in the world saying, no, this is better. Take it. Get a little temporary buzz here. Yes. And sadly, sometimes you are just too easily satisfied. You just won't dig deep in the Word. You just won't take time and separate yourself to get the real pleasure. But it's there. And all that are in me are saved, but there is a true reaping and sowing, dear children. In this spirit of truth, the separation, I am conforming you to his image. Isn't that what I told you in Romans 8, 29? We've been called separated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're being, you're being separated in many ways, dear believer, in this life. Are you living a separated life? I, as the Holy Spirit, am administrating Christ's last will and testament to guide you into all truth. I'm here to fulfill his desire that everyone for whom he died will be with him. And they will. I am here with two hands of administration. Justification and sanctification. Are you living sanctified? That means holified. Are you living and breathing the air of heaven? This world's air is a God-ignoring air. There is something better, dear children. The last thing I would tell you about my role as administrator is to administrate comfort and to be your helper. That word is the same, really. The word comforter there just means one who walks alongside with. I'm walking alongside with you. You're never alone. I am sent to be your comforter and helper for a week, for a month. No, forever. I'm always with you to teach you the eternal words of Christ, to witness daily to you of your need of Christ, to testify the reality of Christ. In order for you to enter into this comfort, you must first be convinced of your hopelessness apart from Christ. Let me lay before you a teaching of Jesus Christ in Luke 12. I would ask you this for all of you here who profess the name of Jesus Christ. What are the things in your life this past week By which your life is principally maintained. 
You were made a creature, a pleasure seeker, a comfort seeker. There's nothing wrong with that if you seek it in the right place. This past week, what has been the principal things that you have been seeking your comfort in? In Luke 12, 15, Jesus again is here speaking. And he gives this truth for you. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Am I your principal comfort? Or are there other things? The Messiah went on and told the story here of a rich man who built barns and thought all of his comfort was in his possessions. But he was a fool. For he was going to die. When you die, you will not go home to your house ever again. You will never enter again into your closet. You will never put on any of your clothes. Somebody else will have to clean your closet out for you. You will never eat another meal. And all of the money that you might have stored up, you won't have access anymore. That is why I am shaping you and conforming you to the image of Christ that you would take all your comfort in me and then you won't have these silly fears about losing your money or fears about losing a person in your life. When I'm your chief comfort, you can live in the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man or the fear of loss of things that are temporary. This is one of the dangers you are in, particularly Americans who are rich and increased with goods. I give you these things for your comfort. And I can give you wisdom on how to enjoy them so that when you enjoy the comforts I give you, you do it to my glory. And you see, when you... Drink a glass of orange juice. God, thank you for this comfort. This is teaching me that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. I take comfort in this because you are God. You made all things. You made oranges. You gave man wisdom on how to get this to my table. I have given you this wealth not to be ashamed of it, but to use it for building the kingdom. Don't let it get in the way. Your life does not consist at all in wealth. Your life consists in me. Remember the, the warning of Nabal in 1 Samuel 25, 37. David's out in the wilderness. David and his men are hungry. David has been helping Nabal keep his sheep. He's been essentially working for Nabal without pay. David decides he will go down and ask for help from Nabal in repayment for protecting his sheep. If not for Abigail, a great story of intercession for another time. 
David would have gone in and killed Nabal and every living soul. He was kept from this by my servant Abigail. And she tells Nabal of this the next morning after he's been getting drunk and partying with all the stuff he's got. He's been taking comfort in all of the stuff he had in his house. And when she tells him what was about to happen, it says his soul died within him. You see, he considered that he was about to lose all of his comforts. And so here's the lesson. Temporary comforts don't last. It's not a hard one, is it? And yet, to put that in practice, it is. Don't take comfort like a dog takes in a bone. You know, a dog hides his bone, and he goes, digs it up, and gets out and gnaws on it for a while, and then covers it back up. You're not dogs. Don't gnaw on things that will give you no satisfaction eternally. I'm here daily to comfort you. I'm here daily to help you. I'm here to give you truth and sanctify you, to teach you lessons, to set you free from the love of money, to use everything I give you in humility and worship. I'm here to teach you Psalms 16, 5 through 6. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance and my cup. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. Can you say that? He is your only inheritance? I am here to apply the blood of Christ to each one of you for justification. I am here to convict you and to empty you out of all your arrogance and pride so that you might be filled with me. I am here to teach you obedience and separation, how to live in this difficult way. I'm here to convict you, convince you of Christ's perfect righteousness on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, I am the person of the Holy Spirit sent to you to administrate these things. That's just a few things about myself. Now that you've learned something about myself, I hope that you've learned something about yourself. Don't resist the Holy Ghost. Israel resisted the Holy Ghost in the wilderness. Many were destroyed. Don't grieve me. I am a person. You can grieve me. You can walk with me daily, praying all the time. And the joy of the Lord. You know what the favorite thing I've ever done is? Matthew 1.18 Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Ghost. This is the greatest mystery of the universe. How 
could God Almighty become a man? Your theologians like to call this the hyperstatic union. Men like to use big words. It makes them feel smarter. But this is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. How the blessed Son of God stepped down and poured the divine essence that had always existed throughout eternity into a human body. That had to happen. I had to be the one to do that because all your sin, all your children are contaminated. This had to happen so that you could be saved. And this blessed son lived the perfect life for you and gave his life a sacrifice for you so that you might be rescued. I get to tell you a few things about where this is all headed too. In Revelations 19. I know the ladies here like Hallmark movies. You know why? Because they all end with a marriage. Just to tell you a little secret, there's many men here who like that too. Eternity is written in your hearts, brothers and sisters. There is going to be a marriage at the end of the story. In Revelations 9 and 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as of the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's you. And I'm helping get you ready. You know how the girls always get together and curl the hair and do all that stuff before the marriage? I'm helping getting you ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I'm here as a witness that these things are true. There's coming a great marriage supper. I'm here to seal, to adopt you and to seal you permanently for that. And I'm the down payment of the wedding gift. Ha! You know what the wedding gift is? You ever looked up in the sky at night and seen the Milky Way? Have you ever considered the things that these little bitty puny tiny telescopes are seeing? And the thousands and thousands of galaxies that you're finding out there? That's the wedding gift. It's all yours. You inherit all things with the Son. And I'm here to witness unto you that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I pray that you would receive my testimonies as the sent promise keeper and that you would take a deep look into your own heart and see where you're missing out on some comforts in your life.